away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. This concludes the appearance of Jesus before Pilate. And we'll begin our discussion today in verse 11. Last week we ended with my reading Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. Where Paul uh, goes into quite a bit of detail relative to governments and authority as God has ordained. So we won't reread that, but just a few comments about verse 11, where Jesus is telling Pilate, uh, you really have no power except what has been given you by God himself. So really Jesus' application of this to Pilate reveals the hand of God in the affairs of government. It's a fact. There has been no government on earth that has not had the hand of God involved. Now this is, of course, uh, unknown, unrecognized, unacknowledged by governments, most governments. I think our government over 200 years ago started out on the right path. It seems like we're trying to get more and more off of it the longer we go. But in reality, God does have a hand in the affairs of men. In his providence, he doesn't work as a puppeteer, uh, dangling around as uh, puppets or robots, but most certainly God's providence uh, works the will of God in the affairs of men. So Pilate, who was the Roman procurator that year, was not by Pilate's own self-achievement in that position, but God had raised him up no less than he had raised up Esther in a bygone time. You'll remember that, where Mordecai entered into the picture. Uh, Esther became queen. She was a Jew, a child of God. And so the words in chapter 4, verse 14 of Esther, who knows but what you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows but what Pilate had come to this scene for just a time as this. Who knows but what our presidents and our governors and our officials have come to the occasion for such a time as this. The point here is that we have to recognize that God is in control. Again, he doesn't manipulate us, but in his providence, he works all things for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And that involves government. I believe that. Uh, God had raised up Pilate, and Pilate's continuing in office was 
directly from God and exercised and only under God's permission. That's what Jesus just said. You would have no power unless God had not given it to you. Now think about that. Here is Jesus, the creator of the world, son of God, in this situation. And this uh, pagan governor, Pilate, has the audacity to parade his so-called authority before Jesus. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do with you? And here is Jesus, the object of this. Now Jesus, don't you know, could have very well called for legions of angels. It's not recorded in John's account, but in Matthew's account, you'll remember there in the garden, just after Peter had lopped off the ear of Malchus, that Jesus told him to put his sword up in its place. Don't you know that I can call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to, if I needed to? Yes, Jesus could have come out of that situation. He even had the power to change Pilate's mind. And it seems that Pilate in this scene uh, is <laughs> actually trying to maybe plead with Jesus to do something that would enable him to deny the religious leaders the sentence that they, the Jews, wanted. Because Pilate all along has seen no fault in him. Whatever else he might think of Jesus, as far as the evidence go under Roman law, he had not seen anything presented so far to justify execution that the Jews were demanding. Please, Jesus, help me out here. I'm trying to help you. Do something. Uh, I don't know to what extent Pilate was aware of Jesus' ministry over the past three years. Uh, maybe he had uh, heard of the miracles and so on. And so maybe Pilate is saying here, look, do something. You can do it. And if you can, then please do. But the Lord would not resort to any miracle here to avoid the cross. This was not in the will of God. And so we understand a little bit about, uh, from this passage, uh, about God's intervening in the affairs of men. And here we are, 2021, in America. And as was mentioned in the prayer, uh, we're in a sad state of affairs in many ways in our country. And I know that the opinions about what's going on are wide and varied, even within this room among us. I know that the opinion, opinions vary greatly. But when it all comes down to it, we've got to acknowledge that uh, as long as we are faithful to God and we do all that we can as children of God and good citizens, then we take what has 
been given to us, the plate that uh, we have before us, and we deal with it as Christians. Hopeful, maybe, of better days to, to come, but if not, uh, then we make do the best that we can. God is at work. And I believe, just like the scriptures say, that we need to pray. You know, we've been looking at prayer for two, about three or four Wednesdays in uh, David's lessons on prayer, different aspects. One aspect of prayer is to pray for those in authority, those who have the rule over us. Jesus came into this world in the midst of the Roman Empire, persecutor of Christians at the beginning. And so we need to understand this and get the proper perspective on it. But the latter part of the verse there, he talks about the greater sin. Here Pilate is the governor, the procurator, and uh, he is about to do his job in turning Jesus over to be crucified. But he doesn't have the greater sin, according to Jesus. Jesus says, the one who turned me over to you has the greater sin. Now, most immediately, that would be Caiaphas, the high priest. But also, it would include Judas, would it not, who betrayed Jesus and got the ball rolling. They have the greater sin. As far as Caiaphas was concerned, he was guilty of wrongfully using the power of his office as high priest. Judas, of course, was guilty of betraying the Lord. The greater sin doesn't let Pilate off the hook, but the greater sin belongs to the Jewish people in turning Jesus over and bringing him to this point. Look at verses 12 and 13. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He had already been trying to release him, but the emphasis here is even more so now. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And so we look at this when Pilate, in verse 13, therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat in the place, and so on. Tiberius was Caesar uh, at this time, and this tactic by the Jewish leader was vicious, and call it what it really is. It was political blackmail. We're a little familiar with that, aren't we? I guess most governments are. Political blackmail. It seems that no matter what, in some way or another, things become politicized. Everything to whoever's advantage. It's just the way it is. That's the way politics is. And here we see politics at work. Uh, the Jews hated Rome. They wanted the Messiah to come and free them from Roman dominance. They hated Caesar. But look how the Jewish leaders now are using 
this. Uh, it was blackmail, pure and simple. Well, this did it. Uh, Pilate had tried in his feeble way to get out of executing in his mind an innocent man, which is against Roman law. Only guilty people were executed under Roman law. And so here uh, he was. And when he heard this, okay, you're not going to release him. You're not going to crucify him like, like we were saying. Well, you're no friend of Caesar. That's obvious to everybody. Jesus here has made himself out to be, be king. And don't you know, Pilate, that there is only one king, and that's the Roman king, the Roman emperor, Tiberius. And if you let this man go, don't you know word's going to get out and make its way to Rome? What you have done, you are no friend of Caesar. That did it. Against his better judgment. So look, moving on to verse 14, says, now it was the preparation day of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Uh, the day before the Passover, which began that night at sunset, about the sixth hour, I believe this is referring to Roman time, which had been about six o'clock uh, in the morning, Friday morning. And so, having made up his mind, you know, from what the uh, leaders have just presented to him about not being a friend of the king, uh, he brings him out and says, Behold your king. Uh, you can do a lot of reading between the, the lines here and speculating uh, a little bit, trying to get the whole scene before us, before us in our minds. Uh, it seems to me that uh, Pilate has concluded, well, if the Jews are going to block me, blackmail me as the enemy of Caesar, then I'll prove my loyalty to Caesar by crucifying the Jews' king. Put that in your pot and smoke it. They're saying, he's not our king, he's not our king. Now, Pilate is saying, okay, I'm going to turn over to you, your king, for you to crucify. Who knows, but it not it interesting to try to visualize this and try to, to understand uh, the language uh, in the uh, context here. Verse 15, again, a taunt. It, they say, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? Probably with maybe a smile on his face. It was a taunt, and it drove the Jews wild. It drove them insane to a breaking point. It led them into such an irrational rage that it led them to renounce God himself. That's what they're doing. In their blind rage, in their hatred of Jesus. 
and wanting him dead, they renounced God himself. Look at it in verse 15. They cried out with him, away with him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? Now notice, the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Jewish religious leadership before a pagan governor saying of a pagan emperor, he's our only king. Let that settle in for a moment. So could you not consider that blasphemy which they accused him of, which is Why not? by death? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just almost too much to try to comprehend what's going on here, what the Jews are saying, how, how they are reasoning. Where was their professed devotion to God? as their only king. They hated Caesar. Listen to them. Uh, The claim of God as being their true king was really the major thesis of the whole history of Israel. But here they are shouting before the pagan governor, we have no king but Caesar. And they that gloried in the, uh, the theocracy and boasted that they were never under bondage to any man back in John chapter 8. They make this claim to Jesus that, uh, what, what are you talking about, that, that we are going to be, we can be forgiven of sin that, uh, and so on. We've never been under bondage to any man. These very people confessing that Caesar is their only king. In verse 16 then, so he delivered them, him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Uh, John doesn't mention it here, but in Matthew 27, it's at this point uh, in Matthew's account that Pilate takes the labor of water and washes his hands. And the Jews say, his blood be on us. And so it has been and will be. Just uh, trying to sum up this appearance before Pilate. This last appearance before Pilate. The end game in Pilate's effort to release Jesus comes into view as the Jews finally zero in on his own vulnerability. Until this time, their focus had been on Jesus and their desire to have him crucified. So now we see that that the Jews, they're, they're pretty witty, they're pretty smart in a worldly way. Here the Jewish leaders have outwitted Pilate in providing all that he needs to carry out the execution. Now, think about it. The Jews have provided Pilate a charge of sedition. Jesus claimed that he was a king. They have 
given Pilate a legal framework to condemn him. Since Pilate cannot do it based on Roman law, you can't condemn an innocent man. But they reasoned he can condemn Jesus using their interpretation of Jewish law. And the leaders have also provided Pilate motivation by suggesting that releasing Jesus would be contrary to Caesar's wish. And then the Jews finished their assault on Pilate by declaring that in doing this, you're going to be winning our greater loyalty to Rome. Pilate completely caves in. The Jewish leaders completely caved in. Very interesting. So against Pilate's conscience, again, three times in this narrative, we have seen uh, Pilate's efforts to release Jesus, finding no fault in him. And against the law, that is, that only the innocent are released. And against better judgment, Pilate's fear, Jesus is sent by Pilate to his death, thinking that in doing so, he will appease the Jewish leaders, avoid civil turmoil, and secure his own position in government. And so that concludes the, the mock trials that Jesus endured from the Garden of Gethsemane to the crucifixion itself. It's shameful. It was all a sham. It was unlawful as Paul has done such a good job in uh, bringing us up to date on the nature of the trials. Unlawful, unethical, untrue, false. And so here we are with the final, the Jews have finally gotten their way. They're going to put Jesus on the cross. So any comments or questions before we go into the next general section, that is the crucifixion of Jesus, which will involve verses 17 through 30. Any comment to this point or questions? <laughs> the Passover was to remember the time when they right. were in bondage. Well, you know, they've not changed from beginning to end. Uh, they don't see reality. They, they lie. They are hypocrites. But even in that statement, think about it. What's going to take the place of that Passover feast? Christ. Oh, yeah. And I take in the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So much that they didn't comprehend or did not want to comprehend. Like I've said before, um, I really believe that in their heart of hearts, uh, they believed, they knew that Jesus was from God. But isn't it something, uh, the power of power? 
Yeah, it blinds people. And we know that to be true even in our own present day and time, that, that power can tri uh, triumph over truth. If it means position, if it means me getting ahead or losing out or whatever. Popularity. Popularity, yeah. All of that. Again, we see and understand that all of this is in the purview of God's divine providence and prophecy. Uh, And again, we, we understand that, that this is not God manipulating things. He lets things run in its natural course. But, and I can't fully explain providence. But I believe that it does not mean that God is forcing us or anybody to do certain things. You know, even in Pharaoh's example there that, that you gave, it is said in one place that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Another place it says that God hardened his heart. Well, only in the sense that Pharaoh himself hardened his heart. So, again, here we are. Yeah, Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing like God is. And so you're right. Satan is probably tasting the sweet taste of victory here. Uh, but it's all uh, according to prophecy. Of course, we've been emphasizing all along that in John, the main theme is belief. That these things are written that you may believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so all along here, uh, John is making effort, and we'll see it in the crucifixion narrative, of pointing out how that one scripture after another, one prophecy after another is being fulfilled for God's uh, will to be done. Caesar. Everybody's worried about worldly stuff, and they're taking care of worldly stuff. But 
The old timers work in God's spiritual plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I put all of that under the category of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God. I don't know how it all works, but I believe it. And can't we all look back in our own personal histories and see the fulfillment of that, that all things work together? This is God's providence at work. You might not understand it at the moment, Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees when we're right in the moment, in the uh, center of what's, what's going on. But we must have that faith and that belief that uh, we are gods. And as long as we are trying our best to walk in the light, he's, he's got our back. He's going to take care of us. He's going to bring us through. It may mean persecution. It may very well mean persecution. But we know that God is for us. And he's going to keep us no matter what. Even if it means my death. I like the scripture in Revelation. Be faithful unto death and you'll receive the crown of life. And that can be understood in two ways in the translation. Be faithful until the point in which you die all the way to the end, to your death, or be faithful even if it means death. And I prefer that, really. That even if our being faithful to God means death under persecution in the current circumstances or whatever, that uh, God's will be done. And we're looking at eternity. We're not locked into a worldview. We're looking at eternity. And Jesus is here too, as we'll be looking at uh, as we get into the crucifixion itself. There's more than just the physical suffering here and a sacrifice. There are eternal implications to what Jesus is doing here. Not just salvation, but even the cost that, that he is paying for our sins. Well, we're not going to uh, be able to get very far in this. Let's just uh, go ahead and begin with reading verses 17 through 30, and then we'll do what we can before the buzzer goes off. Uh, Let me just mention what I uh, passed out here. The quality isn't very good, and I apologize for that, but maybe you can read it. Uh, When we get on down to... uh, Jesus addressing, uh, well, in verse 25, uh, the women at the cross. Kay is the one that did this uh, several years ago, and it's helped me tremendously through the years to understand uh, from all of the Gospels exactly uh, what women were at the cross. So keep that, put that in your Bible and keep it. We will probably get to it, uh, Lord willing, next, next Sunday. Well, let's begin reading in uh, verse 17 and go through verse 30. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. 
where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the middle. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each, either, uh, to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen, and he who has seen this has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So, the Lord willing, uh, we will get into the crucifixion of Jesus uh, next week and go as far as we can. Uh, I'm trying not to write, this is the gospel that we're in. This is the gospel, the center of everything. So we're not bound by time, and we'll take our time and go through it. Thank you.